0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Publisher Lab. Uh, I'm your host Tyler Bishop, um, and you'll notice that I'm alone right now. And for our loyal listeners, the people that have been listening to the Publisher Lab since the very beginning, which I think this is episode 30 now, uh, so we've been actually doing these for almost a year. And uh, today I'm I'm without my partner John Cole. Um, so we've done a, I've done a couple of podcasts in the past without him we've had when we had the FT the Financial Times on and some of our other guests that we've had on uh, I've interviewed them without John but uh, John and I because you guys have probably noticed the the publisher lab we haven't been getting episodes out quite as frequently frequently as we were for a little while um, John and I have basically decided we're gonna alternate and he's gonna do some over in the UK and I'm gonna do some here in the states uh, because we're separated now when we first started this podcast we we worked out of the same area and now we don't anymore and so Um, We're going to try to find ways to both find different guests. So he's over there in London, so we're going to try to get uh, The Guardian on and some of the other major brands over there to talk a little bit about some of the things that they're doing that are innovative. And I'm going to do the same over here uh, in San Diego, California, where I'm based. And then once a month, John and I are going to try to get together and do some uh, collaborative ones. And then uh, not only that, but uh, John and I get together for – uh, major events every now and then as well, and we're gonna try to put together some uh, event, some, some good podcasts while we're together uh, live as well. So um, we're hoping that this allows us to continue to bring you guys to publisher lab because we, we hear, heard you guys as we were having a couple uh, couple weeks without episodes going past you guys would send us emails and uh, messages on social media so it makes us happy that, uh, that you guys were missing the podcast uh, and we're sorry that we weren't able to get so many out for a while but hopefully this new setup will allow us to continue to kind of pump some good stuff out there so without any further ado uh, for this week's episode I kind of decided to dig into a number of different things that it, that seem to have been popping up so I was kinda of paying attention to what was in sort of the the popular news feed right now uh, among some of the like most popular publishing uh, uh, online uh, publications, I guess, and then also just address some some other things that have kind of come up here in the last couple of weeks that I've seen that I thought uh, most of you guys would benefit from. So most of you guys know I'm the, the head of marketing at Zoic. Uh, I used to have uh, an, an internet startup. Uh, I serve as an SEO expert for a lot of different startup boards. So in general, uh, digital marketing is sort of my thing and I've been around the block, been able to help a lot of the different digital properties grow significantly over time, and so I try to provide you guys as much insight on those things as possible because it's really where I can probably lend value uh, to uh, most of the publishers that listen to this show that have websites and uh, want to see the traffic grow and, and that sort of thing. So I'll kind of start with um, some SEO stuff, uh, some more modern things that maybe people aren't paying attention to uh, right now, and that is, Primarily uh, I was on a podcast last week uh, with a publisher uh, who has a podcast called uh, Build the Cycle. It's a podcast for entrepreneurs and uh, and, and people that are basically uh, growing businesses and that sort of thing and uh, I was kind of a different sort of guest out of his normal variety I suppose um, because he wanted me to come on to talk about basically growing web traffic and there was a couple things that popped up and things that I saw from people Uh, asking me questions coming out of it. Um, And so I I think there's two myths that I sort of want to dispel that I keep seeing uh, all over the place. And then there's a couple really new things that relate to search engines that I think publishers should really be aware of, because A, it could save you some money, and then B, Keep you from being taken advantage of or wasting your time with a couple things. So let's start with the myths. So you guys have probably heard me talk about maybe some of this before, if you've li- if you listen to me talk at different events or you watch some of the webinars that I do. If not, no big deal. Um, but the biggest thing is is this idea of an SSL or, an, or or moving your site to HTTPS being some kind of significant thing or hard thing or um, I don't know, uh, most websites I would say now, I think 60% of search results are HTTPS or SSL. So a lot of you guys are probably like thinking about turning off the podcast right now because you're going, hey, my site is already HTTPS, you're pe- preaching to the choir here. But just really quickly, I wanna to mention to everybody that maybe does, that doesn't that does have an HTTPS site, um, Now is really kind of the time that you should be doing this. Um, the early adopters are done with this now and uh, while it's not like a significant ranking factor it is sort of like a coin flip decider between two sites that might be equal in search results so why not give yourself that advantage not only that but um, in addition uh, it also uh, has n- almost no negative effect on anything you would do not almost but basically no um, and what that means is um, in the past people I think were concerned that there were there would be something that happened with the redirect. Uh, I don't know where this myth was coming from, but the redirection of an HTTP site to an HTTPS site could not be easier. You can do it at your host. You can force HTTPS on all sites once you have your SSL installed. If you're a WordPress or Joomla or Drupal user, all you have to do then is um, basically and then simply change over where you lists your canonical space or you know your site name to www you know whatevercom uh, Before that, it'll say http colon backslash backslash and then www dot. Uh, you just add an s in there. Um, it's also where you can choose if you want to display that www or not. But basically, just setting your canonical properly and um, and then just doing a server level redirect for that. Uh, for that HTTPS versus HTTP, and you're there. Uh, It's not a complicated thing. Um, I think also people have been concerned in the past that maybe they would earn less revenue somehow. Uh, You know, five, six years ago, I think maybe there might be some legit concerns from some sites on this, but nowadays if you're using any sort of reputable um, ad providers or demand sources, um, you're not gonna have any problems here whatsoever. In fact, um, it may offer some slight benefit. So, I mean, for the most part, uh, there's really nothing to be concerned about here. It's only going to benefit you from a traffic standpoint, and it's only going to benefit you from a revenue standpoint. So, um, yeah, you might as well well, do that. It's a really easy thing, and uh, I see a lot of people talking about it being hard and worrying about redirects, and it's just not something to worry about. It's very, very easy to do. And there's tons of articles about it, so I won't go into it any further. The other myth that I've seen here recently, and um, I guess – I guess I'll address it on two sides, which is the idea of deleting content that exists on your site. So at some point, somebody must have been telling people from an SEO standpoint that they should be deleting content for some reason. Um, If you have good content on your site or even content in general that you've built up over time, there's really no reason to delete it. Or remove it from your existing site I can only imagine that's gonna have a fairly negative effect I've seen some case studies of some people that have recommended or done this in the past but I have not seen it like recommended or recreated by a lot of credible uh, SEO folks or people that work on a lot of major publisher sites so I would really tread with caution there I would imagine that there are far far more things you could do to benefit that existing content and potentially get it to generate traffic for you rather than just delete it and cut ties with it. Um, But one of the big things that I see with people that that seem to be wanting to do this is they, in a lot of cases, are wanting to take content off of one site and turn it into two sites. Um, So let's say I've got a website on the outdoors and I actually decided that I wanna take that site and I wanna make uh, a new site about hunting and I have a whole bunch of hunting content uh, on my outdoor site and I wanna move that content to this new site. Um, That's okay if the only reason I'm doing that is for branding purposes and I'm actually willing to lose money and traffic in the short term to do that. Um, In a lot of cases, I don't think publishers are willing to have those sacrifices. Um, And if you're not, I would say it's a bad move because When you remove that content from that domain, there are a lot of things that are attached to that that are not going to go with it even if you do a 301 or 302 direct or something along those lines. Because what's going to happen is you're going to lose a lot of the domain authority that was attached to uh, the URL that that content lived on. That content is basically going to start over from scratch. So if it's really great content, there's a chance maybe it'll rank again, but you also have to be okay with the fact that it might not. It might not ever get back to its previous levels so um, i always tell publishers that come to me and ask me hey we're thinking about splitting the site and taking some content off of this one and putting it over here I basically, say, that's fine if you want to build that brand or you generate all of your traffic or the majority of your traffic through links referrals social media that sort of thing but if you're generating it organically uh, through search engines um, it's really not it's really not financially beneficial nor is it uh traffic-ly beneficial you're gonna lose traffic on the site that you steal the content from and then your new site may not ever get that traffic back on the back end of it so um, I would say it's usually not a strategy that I would employ but if you're a large publisher and you, you see it as a branding play and like I said you generate uh, traffic through a lot of different sources specifically to those URLs it might it might make sense um, I don't like to paint with a broad brush but generally that's something you should probably think about So now moving into more new school uh, SEO stuff that has kind of been cropping up here recently. Um, If you pay attention to a lot of the tools that look at uh, search ranking changes, they've been since pretty much the middle of, well, I guess since the beginning of 2017, there's been a lot of volatility, the kind of volatility that you used to only see whenever Google updated their algorithms. And one of the big things that Google has uh, come out and, and kind of explained a little bit further, specifically here more recently, and it seems to be uh, playing a role in, a, in the way a lot of things are done now, is they seem to be using, or not seem to be, they've, they've expressively started using machine learning uh, as it relates to dynamic query changes. And so what that means is um, every, every query that someone would search inside of a search engine is going to have different ranking criteria. And so what that means is is basically they're using artificial intelligence or machine learning to work out what factors are most important for different types of queries. And I'll give you an example. Um, if you're searching for something about uh, pie recipes, for example, um, you may Google may learn over time that it is not critical that that pie recipe site or where that pie recipe lives, whatever page that is, requires a lot of uh, high quality backlinks. Why? Well, because you may not need a lot of high quality backlinks to tell somebody that this is a great pie recipe. You could maybe look at user behavior on that site. You could see, look at um, how many people went to that page and then returned to search results to look at other pie recipes. Um, There's a lot of other things you could look at to determine whether or not that that, that search result was satisfying to the searcher um, other than backlinks and uh, determining that it's a good result. Um, That's just a simple example, and Google gave a similar one. Um, Another example where that might be different is uh, if you were to search something on Donald Trump, um, is it relates to Trump news and the phenomenon of fake news that that is occurring in the United States um, and all over the world, quite frankly. Uh, It's one of those things where uh, a a quality backlink from a site that has been around for a long time uh, you know like the AP or um, you know any na- name your favorite large publisher those types of backlinks may give more credibility to a search result um, or domain authority may pay, play a bigger role in these things because they may be trying to flush out the credibility the quality of the sources and that sort of thing so what how different ranking signals are weighted uh, can change whether you're searching Donald Trump or pies or something totally different so Basically, what Google is doing is it's working out over time, testing the satisfaction and what factors actually played like a role in overall searcher satisfaction as it relates to all kinds of different queries. And um, this is not something that's done algorithmically anymore. I, I think people think of Google has an algorithm where it's if this, then that, but now they're using true machine learning, which means the machines are working out basically what is important and what's not. And so basically Google has the ranking factors, and then they've got the queries that the searchers are putting in, and the machines are working out everything in between. And uh, Google is likely monitoring this and working out different ways for it to satisfy the searchers. But I think the reason for, for, for thinking about this and understanding the way that it works is to realize that there are no major search algorithm updates anymore. Um, there are no more um, major changes that are not announced by Google. Um, That you're not going to be somewhat privy to for example right now. They it's pretty obvious that they're rolling out some levels of their mobile first index They've kind of said as much um, And they're testing this and they say it's going to be a continuous process. That means that uh, Google for you guys that aren't familiar with mobile first Google will be uh, moving from both a desktop and mobile index to uh, a single index which will crawl and index the mobile version of a site first which what this means is as long as you're, you're, all your web pages are the same on mobile and desktop, meaning basically the content, the code, et cetera, is the same for both, uh, and it's a responsive page, um, you should experience little to no changes, but if you have a separate mobile site from your desktop site, which some sites do, if you have an M.dot version of a website, um, there's a chance that you have completely different uh, sites. Uh, in that case, Google will be indexing the mobile version, which if there's any differences, it could have some kind of impact, um, most likely a negative one that you should be aware of. Um, that being said, Google keeps talking about how they want basically nothing to change um, when they switch to full mobile first, which they say will basically take forever. So it's just something to keep an eye on, keep an eye on your mobile traffic, keep an eye on your search uh, organic search uh, traffic and just see how those things line up as they continue to roll this out. Because they said it was going to roll out in Q4, Q3, Q4 of 2017. We're there now. They say, hey, maybe we're testing this. It might be rolling out. Uh, if it is, it's going to be rolling out forever. So there's no point in asking any more questions about it. It's kind of how Google <laughs> tends to answer a lot of questions. So it's safe to say it's rolling out now. Um, but that being said, coming back to my thoughts about the dynamic query changes. Um, it's really important that I think for publishers to understand this this weighting in different queries because one of the things that I think publishers are often taken advantage of is people reach out and say things like I can help you build backlinks or I can help you do this or I can help you do that from an SEO standpoint. And I think one of the the things that publishers need to be really cautious of when people are reaching out and offering you uh, you know SEO services or anything SEO related in general is that um, what is it that that they're really going to be buying for you or providing you and what is it that you're really buying Um, it would be great if you could pay somebody money and you could just rank higher in search results Um, but unfortunately there needs to be work done and that work almost only works when you really understand there's going to be value on the other side and what I mean by that is um, in most cases if somebody's reaching out to you with SEO services I would say Uh, ignore those emails and then do your own research and then if you still think you need somebody um, there are places you can go and find stuff but in most cases a lot of this material can either be done by yourself or somebody that is an existing webmaster or something along those lines Um, I've got tons and tons of articles on this stuff at blog.azoic.com if you search SEO or search organic traffic um, but one of the big things I want to mention here is just, it seems like I'm seeing more and more people reaching out, because we have a number of sites that um, that, that we own, uh, I have a number of sites that I own, and I'm constantly hit up by people that are asking me for backlinks uh, that have been paid by somebody to reach out to me and ask me if I will put a backlink on my website. Um, not only that, but people are actively reaching out to me telling me that they'll help me build you know X amount of backlinks for X amount of dollars. And the truth is, is where's the value in that? Uh, Google has said recently that 75% of backlinks are actually ignored um, in general. So let's say you go out and have somebody uh, build 10 backlinks for you, Uh, 7.5 of those backlinks on average are not gonna even be noticed by Google. So, uh, and then you have to ask yourself, well, are they important? Come back to our dynamic query changes conversation earlier and backlinks may or may not be important for a lot of the search results that your uh, current keywords are ranking for. So you have to ask yourself the question, are they valuable to my site? You're never gonna be able to get a straight answer from Google of, uh, of whether or not the queries that people are searching and landing on your site are actually relevant or weighted highly for things like backlinks as a ranking factor. And I, I've know, I know for a fact that a lot of the Google Webmaster uh, liaisons and the spe- people that speak on their behalf Uh, have really talked about hating this whole industry around backlinks, Um, and so I would imagine that they'll continue to make changes to try to uh, eliminate this kind of dark market, I suppose. Um, Quite honestly, you should try to be building backlinks the good old-fashioned way, which is through social media, through making great content that ranks well, um, from linking to other people's content, um, it's not a fast process. It, sometimes it can be a slow one, uh, but social signals are a real thing, and you should really invest in trying to engage audiences on social media because I think that that's one of the faster ways to actually generate interest in your content and get it across the web and also move it up in SERPs. Um, so I, I would just say, if you're spending money on people for backlinks or have thought about spending money on backlinks, I would say there's never, never been a better time to cut those ties or ignore that and uh, really focus on your social media strategy and also focus on building backlinks the way that everybody should be building them, which is, again, making great content, getting your content in every community that's relevant, Quora, Reddit, um, places that make sense, um, and places that want your content and where it would be valuable. Those are where I would start. So. Um, I'm going to switch gears here now a little bit because we had a chance to talk a little bit about SEO and those are some kind of top of mind topics, but I want to touch on a couple other things that are kind of in the news right now. One is, um, I guess bad actors are in the news again. And What I mean by bad actors, I mean basically all the fraud that's out there in the, um, I guess in this advertiser publisher ecosystem um, and for you guys that aren't familiar, one of the Um, most recent innovations or changes is this ads.txt change and I've seen a lot of false information I see again a lot of people in this space are trying to take advantage of publishers and advertisers right now by saying things you know they're sending out emails to people and saying things like oh you know if you don't have an ads.txt file on your site you're not gonna be able to monetize any Google demand you know through adx or AdSense or what-have-you in the foreseeable future because you know, ads.txt isn't implemented. That's not true at all. Um, And so anytime there's something new in this space, you're going to have people trying to take advantage of you. Um, And it's unfortunate because the whole reason for this innovation is to avoid fraud and the exact kind of thing that we're talking about. But ads.txt, to summarize for you guys that may not be familiar, it's basically a file that will live on a publisher site where it'll basically say, like, these are all the demand sources that i'll allow on my site and uh, basically it allows you to raise your hand as a form of authentication to potential advertisers because one of the big problems that exists right now is uh, bad actors or basically just fraudsters will pop up in the market uh, programmatically and say hey i'm the new york times and they'll do what's called domain spoofing and they'll make the bids really really low and so advertisers will come in uh unknowingly so and uh, they, will, they will bid impressions on this site that's claiming to be the New York Times that isn't. And uh, they will burn up all those ad dollars fraudulently. And that's bad for everybody because the advertiser is thinking they're buying ads on the New York Times. The New York Times isn't getting any of that money because it's being sold super cheap through these fraudsters. So ads.txt prevents that from happening. Um, and that's all it does. It doesn't offer any other benefits other than it prevents domain spoofing. So if this isn't a problem for you or you're not concerned about it at all, um, then you can do nothing. You can never implement it and it's gonna have absolutely no effect on you. If you decide that you wanna implement it uh, so, that this, so, you, so that domain spoofing doesn't happen to you, which that's the, the industry argument is that, well, it's happening to the New York Times and large big brand publishers right now, but eventually it'll trickle down to smaller and smaller publishers. Um, who knows that that's true? If it is, and you decide you do want to implement ads.txt, which is not a bad thing, I don't know that it isn't uh, a bad thing to do. It's going to get you some brownie points within the industry, that's for sure. Um, the biggest thing you have to know is that you need your file to be implemented correctly and up to date, because if it's not, um, you won't be able to you won't be able to get any demand from any of those sources. So you will basically stop monetizing your site altogether. Um, because you're basically going to be preventing uh, all of those different buyers from buying on your site. So if you do have ads.txe and you want it, and you have it implemented, the biggest thing I can tell you is make sure it's done correctly. Um, if you're an Azoic user and you want to do that, uh, we will have an app in the app store here soon that will allow you to do that successfully without having to worry too much about it. Um, but yeah, other than that, I see a lot of people being taken advantage of and a lot of false information. Just realize with the ads.txt stuff you can do nothing and you'll probably be fine if you're a big brand i would say or larger site i would say yeah maybe implement it make sure it's done correctly it's really nothing to freak out about um and speaking of bad actors i also see kind of this this conversation starting again around bad ads you know like uh malware pop-ups and things like that that tend to happen from time to time um this seems to be uh it, depending on who it's happening to it's our uh, increasingly bad problem, but it's been around forever um, Unfortunately, the way that the ecosystem works today, it's just gonna keep happening um, And they're just gonna these bad actors are just gonna find more and more clever ways the biggest thing you can do is Identify them as soon as they happen Send the the URL to whatever demand providers that you're using so that they can identify them and kick them out of the ecosystem for everyone as soon as possible and um, that is kind of how these problems are solved uh, right now. And unfortunately, um, uh, even some of the most uh, uh, progressive or, I guess, uh, optimistic people in this space seem to believe that some amount of, of these, these bad ads, so to speak, will exist uh, for a long time. And I think kicking them out and uh, keeping them out is an effort that we all probably want to continue to work on. Uh, let's see, oh, yeah, and, and, and kind of to that point, one of the things that, that I've I've seen mentioned uh, kind of in, in a lot of different articles, specifically when we're talking about ads.txt and we're talking about bad actors, but I, I keep hearing about how fraud is a big factor in the decl- overall decline of ad rates over time, and you know how ad rates are declining and this sort of thing, and um, I think one of the things that bothers me every time I hear that is uh, I really want to challenge that premise because what we keep seeing across the board here is that that, I mean, all the data that we have and the data that uh, a lot of other people in the, the industry have is that that's not the case. Uh, you can go to adrevenueindex.zyloq.com. We have a a giant ad revenue index that looks at overall session earnings for publishers all across the world from thousands and thousands of sites. And if you look at that and you spread it out over time, you'll see that although seasonality is a real thing, I mean, obviously in Q4 is a big time for everybody, um, ad rates overall are going up. And so I think there's a lot of people out there that are talking about ad rates going down. And you hear it from the big brands because they're not able to sell direct deals quite the way they were before because of, the influence of platforms like Facebook and Google. Basically, the duopoly is sucking up a lot more advertiser dollars than they were before. And so you can't sell these big, giant uh, direct deals that you once could. And so if you average that all together, yes, maybe ad rates are going down for you, but programmatically, ad rates are going up. And so if you're seeing a decline in ad rates programmatically, it may be worth looking at some of the things that you're doing um, and specifically looking at uh, session revenue in general, and seeing how are you monetizing the sessions and looking at your overall session length. Is that something that's declining? Because we see a direct correlation between session length, uh, session quality, and overall ad revenue. And we've talked about this before, and uh, there's lots of resources out there where you can kind of look at that. Um, and then I think one of the last things I wanted to touch on here, because it was something that came up here recently, Uh, and it has to do with that session length question uh, kind of dovetails off the idea of session length but you know one of the things that we see uh if you are seeing ad rates decline it may be because of the ads themselves so what i mean by that is you know and a lot of times what people will do in an effort to maximize and increase the revenue over time is they will they will spend more and more time trying to optimize the ads on their page and they end up actually doing the opposite so they may be making more money uh, from an RPM standpoint or from a uh, ECPM standpoint meaning certain page views may be earning more um, but ultimately what they may be doing is causing higher bounce rates less page views uh, lower time on site which could be affecting both the amount uh, the both the the value of the ad impressions on the page but also the overall session revenue so How that works is basically the reason why you want to measure EPMV or earnings per thousand visitors as opposed to RPMs or ECPMs, um, which is basically if you view one page uh, on a website and a publisher is able to maximize the revenue on that single page, yeah, you may earn more, but if that person was to go on and visit two or three pages, um, you would earn more overall. And so when you look at RPMs or ECPMs, you're essentially trying to Uh, maximize single page revenue versus session revenue and so that is something that's really worth taking a look at and why this question of how many ads should you have on a page is actually really complex because when you start really thinking about it um, we've done a lot of case studies on this and sometimes you'll look at a site average and you'll say you'll see the bounce rate jump up big time right after six ads and you'll say boom there it is I can only show people six ads because then the bounce rate goes up. So if I wanna keep people on my side, I need to show them six ads or less. But then you may cut the traffic in half and say, well, let me look at organic visitors versus visitors coming from Facebook. And then you may say, wow, these Facebook visitors, actually I can show them seven ads before the bounce rate goes up, but those are organic search visitors, it may be three. And so all of a sudden you're faced with, well, if I show everybody six, I'm not really optimizing my revenue for my Facebook visitors, and I'm causing my organic search visitors to bounce at a high rate. So then you say, okay, well I need to show my search visitors X amount of ads and my Facebook visitors uh, a different amount if I wanna really extend extend my session length. And what we find over time is that the publishers that are able to manipulate uh, their ad locations, ad density, and all that sort of thing, by as many different verticals or uh, segments, I guess, yeah, segments is probably a better term than verticals. Uh, the The ones that can actually segment their traffic the most while still serving everyone unique, uh, different changes. I mean, this is the premise of uh, the Zoic technology, basically. Um, but what we find is that those people are the ones that are actually able to extend their session links the longest. but The point of me even bringing this up is to talk a little bit more about that session length and revenue, because I think a lot of publishers actually spend a lot of time in ad ops and they actually unoptimize their ads if that's a thing. Um, Because what they do is they, and I've seen, we actually had a publisher that I was speaking with the other day that basically spent a year doing this. Um, but they were optimizing RPMs on all their pages and if you looked at their overall session earnings how much money they earned from every visitor um, over the course of a year it was like there's a direct linear decline and so their traffic was going up but the revenue was staying steady and they're like well why is this going on and it's because as their traffic was increasing they were actually earning less money from every visitor because of their efforts to try to maximize revenue so it's it's a complex dance sometimes but i think sometimes we make it overcomplicated by not really looking at all the data and relying a little bit too much on uh, subjective material like i like i think the ad looks good up at the top of the page or whatever it is but nevertheless uh we kind of jumped all over the place in this podcast but i kind of knew that that would be the way that it was without john here to kind of break me up so I know john will be back here soon he's got a podcast i know he's working on a couple cool guests over there in london i hope you guys will continue to support the podcast in every way possible um because i uh m- distribute most of my content through Azoic, you can actually uh, send me questions or material for the podcast at at Ezoic on twitter um or you can just send me an email at tbishop at com, and i'm happy to talk about these things in more depth um Hopefully you guys continue to enjoy the podcast. Uh, Give us reviews on iTunes, please, please, please. Those things are like gold and uh, if we can get enough of them, John and I can probably invest a little bit more of our time in making the podcast uh, a more regular thing. We're aiming for once a week episodes and um, I keep hearing from you guys that you want more and more content and SEO stuff, so I'm happy to keep bringing that to you as much as I can. Uh, If you have case studies or you want to submit your site for you know evaluation live on the podcast or something i'm happy to do it so uh just send me a message and we can get that going all right guys thank you very much and i'll see you next time on the publisher lab